John's gospel, because John uh, was the disciple that, that was, was perhaps closest to Jesus and as an eyewitness testimony to who Jesus was, what Jesus said and what Jesus did, we get a picture of, uh, of the real Jesus. Um, it's interesting when you ask people, what do you think of Jesus? Um, there's all sorts of opinions and thoughts out there. Um, I, I really love that the, one of the Alpha videos talks about who Jesus is and they, they show the little reel uh, and all the different things that people say. Uh, it's quite amazing. He is clearly a, a, a controversial figure in history. Um, and so as a church, we really want to make sure we know uh, what, does, what does Jesus say about himself? Um, what, what does, how does Jesus... Um, explain himself how does he describe himself and we see that in john's gospel so uh, previous chapters um have been about what we call uh, the the upper room conversation it's jesus's last words to his disciples uh, in in the upper room we've been looking uh, the last couple of weeks we had uh, josh speaking on john 17 um, the beginning part where Jesus is praying this, uh, this high priestly prayer. He's praying this really, um, the, his, his Lord's prayer as it is. Um, and then Ula came and spoke to us and spoke about walking with God. And then Josh finished off John 17 last week. Um, and today in John 18, the, the, the conversation's over. Jesus is uh, finished giving his last words to his disciples and we enter what's called the, the passion narrative, the passion story. And I think it's interesting, we sing a song sometimes called uh, The Passion of Our Saviour. And I was thinking this week, what, what does that even mean? Because when I think of passion, I think of like, um, he played, uh, he, he sang that song with such passion or uh, he, he played football passionately or he described his love for um, political party with great passion. Um, um, and so, <laughs> who, who, who's that? <laughs> um, but the word passion comes from the Latin word for suffering and actually means to suffer. And so when we talk about Passion Week, which is the week in the run-up to Easter, in the run-up to Good Friday, Easter Sunday, it's coming soon. And, and this, when we've now entered into what's called the Passion Narrative, it actually just means the suffering of Jesus. And all throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been talking about an hour that's coming. He said, my hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. And now the hour has come. And the hour is the suffering that Jesus goes through. So I do want to look at a few questions. One of them is, why does he suffer? Um, and we're going to get to that at the end. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of where we are, just to put us in context. Uh, we're only looking at the beginning part of the chapter, which is the arrest, betrayal, and arrest of Jesus. Uh, but the rest of the chapter goes on to describe uh, Jesus before the high priest, um, Peter's denial of Jesus, as well as Jesus before Pilate. Okay. Uh, let's read uh, John chapter 18, uh, just verses 1 to 11. Amazing. Was that you or me? Okay. Uh, John chapter 18. I'm reading in the ESV so you can follow along here or in your own Bibles. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. 
When Jesus, or then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. He asked them again, uh, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. When Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear, the servant's name was Marcus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Great. Just before we begin, I'd like to pray for us and pray for me if that's okay. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about who you are, but you declare yourself to us through your word. I pray this morning, would you help uh, me to, to speak clearly about your word this morning and for us to hear what you have to say. Lord, I thank you that you're with us in your presence by your Holy Spirit this morning, speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. So we're going to look at three points. I've got three alliterative points, three Ps, in fact. Um, the computer's over there. Uh, I've got the presence, the problem, and the price. Uh, the whole message is going to be about this, the presence of, of God in Jesus, the problem that we have as humans before the presence of God, and the price paid for us to come into the presence of God. It's simple um, but profound this morning. So first things first, the presence of God. John, in his gospel, uh, fast forwards to the action. If you read the other gospel accounts of, uh, of this uh, garden scene, uh, the other gospels spend more time with Jesus and he prays uh, a prayer to the Father. Uh, oh God, take this cup from me, but if not, uh, your will be done, not mine. Jesus' prayer to God. And he sweats drops of blood. That has all happened. John skips to the arrest. So at the very beginning, Jesus steps over this brook, walks into the garden, and then we fast forward to the arrest. John wants to get to the action. And he also wants to show us and demonstrate uh, lots of things. One of them is that Jesus is in charge. They're coming for him, but he knows it. Uh, they're coming to arrest him, but he, he's not getting arrested. He's giving himself up. He steps out and says to them, whom do you seek? And the first uh, thing I want us to notice is that when they say we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, I can never say it, um, he says something super weird. Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, uh, Jesus said to them, I am he. Although actually in the Greek, that's not what he says. He says, I am. If you look in your Bible, you might see that the word he is italicized, or there might be a little number next to it. And if you drop down in my Bible, it just says the Greek, I am. And that's the same in verses 6 and 4. Jesus just says, I am. Ego, I am I. I imagine I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, all of you Greek speakers can correct me. Um, no one knows. Uh, and here it is up there in the Greek, ego, I am I. If you were uh, a Greek-speaking Jew, you were in luck because in Jesus' day, there was a, an Old Testament 
that had been translated out of the Hebrew and into Greek. So they could read the Bible, the Old Testament, the first five books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Leviticus. Uh, you could read them in your native tongue in Greek. And uh, that's what it would look like. And if you were to read, uh, let's say, um, oh yeah, sorry. The, so, so Jesus' words are pretty strange because him saying, I am he, or I am, it isn't, doesn't make sense. That's why, in fact, the translators wrote that in, the, the he. That's added in so that it makes sense in English. Um, because if you were just to say I am, people would be like, what? you're what? What are you? I say I'm, I'm Allard, or I'm a man, or I'm from the UK. You have to qualify I am what. Jesus doesn't, and the reason is... Uh, because he's quoting and he's referring back to uh, the Old Testament. He's referring back to Exodus 3.13, which uh, says this. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, to them, he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. If we could go back to the previous slide. In the Hebrew, it's Ea, Esa, Ea. I suspect that's how it's pronounced. And if you were reading in the Greek, it's that. It's exactly the same thing. You'd be under no illusions when Jesus says, Ego, I'm I. It's John, it's Exodus 3. Um, and amazingly, this phrase uh, in the Hebrew is what's used to, to make the word Yahweh or Jehovah. It's God's name. Those letters uh, up there, the first letter of each of the Hebrew words is, the, is, is what makes the tetragrammaton. It's a bit technical, but it's this big, important uh, phrase that God uses to identify himself. I think the word, the name that you give for yourself is super important. Most of us, our names are given to us by our parents. And sometimes there's meaning to that. My name, for example, actually means nothing. There's no meaning to the name Aled. Um, but, but there is a famous Welsh singer called Aled. And my mum says she named me Aled because she wanted me to sing. I don't know if that was a prophetic naming. Um, but, uh, but, but many of us have names with meaning. And it's true of God. God gives his name. And we should listen, and we should hear, hang on, this is super important. When God says, this is my name. So I do want to just rest on that for a moment. What does it mean for God to say, I am, or I am who I am? Which could also be translated, I was, I am, and I will be. It's got no tenses to it. It's past, present, and future. So, uh, there's a... a an American uh, preacher, theologian, he's dead now. He was writing in the uh, kind of the turn of the century. His name's A.W. Tozer. And he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. Um, and what he's saying there is that um, what we think about God matters a great deal. He says it's the most important thing. If you think God is one way, then you're going to act in that way. If you don't think there is a God and there isn't 
you know, he doesn't exist, so it doesn't matter, then you'll behave in a certain way. It affects every aspect and area of your life. And so we as a church want to, to really dig into what does God say he's like? And it's important that it's what does God say he's like, not what do I hope he's like? What do I wish he's like? What would I like God to be like? Because then we make a God of our own creation and that God doesn't exist. So what does it mean then for God to say, I am that I am? Well, uh, it means lots of things. And a few of them are, are this. Um, first of all, he says, I am, and is a full stop to it. I'll see if I can press my buttons. You'll have to go. Um, so he says, I am. There's, no, uh, there's, no, there's nothing to that. There's nothing extra. Whereas we, for example, have to qualify what we are uh, with something extra. Uh, if we could, does it go or is it time? Okay, I, like, so I am something. Okay, no worries. Uh, the next thing that it says about God is that God is be- it has no beginning. He has no cause. There's nothing before God. Whereas for us, we, we're determined, we're uh, made up from things that have happened. So for example, I was born uh, in England, in, which would make me English. Oh, my days. For the record, I refer to myself as Welsh. To Welsh parents, and so my heritage is of mixed... Uh, <laughs> oh, it's, that's recorded as well, for all to hear forever and ever. We're born, we're defined by our genes. I've got brown hair, blue eyes. I didn't choose that. I was born that way. I was born with blue eyes. <laughs> uh, and our circumstances that happen to us in our upbringing, all of these things make us us. It's not so with God. It's, it's, it's crucially different. The next thing that it says about God, that he is what he is, is that he's unlimited in his power and capacity. He, he doesn't have limits on his nature. His love, his mercy, his grace, he's completely holy and deserves all the honor, glory and praise. Whereas we, we're very limited. Limited in energy. Every day we have to go to bed, right? We have to sleep. If you don't sleep, Bad things happen. I think a week is like you, you just go into a coma. You have to sleep. You have to eat. You have to take a break from work. We have to, uh, you know, we run out of patience all the time. Some of us have got more patience than others, but everyone runs out of patience at times. God, not so. His name also means that he is faithfully consistent and committed to what he says and does. When God says, I'm compassionate, he means he's compassionate all of the time. He was, he is, he is to come. He, he was compassionate, he is compassionate, he'll always be compassionate. We, well, we're erratic, we're changeable. One day we're one thing, another day we're another. I change my mind all the time. Me and Chloe have gone through about seven or eight ideas for where we could go on holiday. And each one we're like, yes, this is the one. Next day, no, that's not the one, you know? But about everything, we're so changeable. And that's okay, but it's different to God. God isn't like that. Uh, there's a great, uh, to expand on that, there's a book called God Has a Name by Mark Comer. Um, and if you want to dig deeper into this whole thing, I recommend reading that uh, book. Um, but God's name has no tenses. Uh, as I said, he, he was and is and is to come. And I want to read 
um, a, a part of a, a poem by a guy called Steph Liston. He's uh, a pastor in a church in London, he's part of our New Frontiers family. Um, and he wrote this large uh, spoken word preach about 30 minutes, and it's amazing uh, to listen to. And I just want to read the first two stanzas, the first two parts, because it, it talks about this. Uh, so here it is. Before air or light or spinning spheres, before laughter, shouting, joy or tears, before everything we've ever touched or held or stroked or tried to reach or thought to say or tried to teach, before oceans and creatures and soaring heights, before depths and mysteries, and first winged flights, before anything that we now see and loved or longed for or want to be, before all the dreaming and inventions, before all the scheming and conventions, before all the cultures and the nations, before all life's great and strange sensations, before anything we've seen and done, he was and is and is to come. Which brings us back to the garden. You see, none of us could say this about ourselves. But here we have Jesus, an obscure carpenter from the backwater hillbilly Nazareth. Nazareth, can't even say it. <laughs> he, he, he lived to 33 years, never married, didn't move more than 100 miles in his life. And yet here he says, I am. You see, Christianity is utterly unique. Jesus' claim to be God is unlike any other religion. Jesus doesn't show us the way to God. He is the way. He doesn't uh, teach us which laws to follow to get to heaven. He says, I'm bringing you there. Jesus doesn't um, point to God. He is God. All other religions say, come to us and find God, whereas the truth of the gospel is that God has come to find us. God has stepped into humanity. There's a, a quote by C.S. Lewis, an English author, uh, and talking about Jesus um, as when people say, oh, he's a, a good man, a prophet, uh, or a holy man, or you know, a good teacher. He says, this is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Now, in the gospel, we see loads of reactions to Jesus. Loads of people react to what he says and what he does. There were people who thought he was crazy. They said, he's got a devil in him. The whole reason he's in the garden now, and, and, the, and these chief priests to come in, and they've got the, the, the soldiers to arrest him, is because they think he's the de they think he's the devil. They think he's a blasphemer. They think this guy's crazy. We've got to stop him. He's going to challenge our authority. He's turning people against the true God. We need to get this guy. So sad that they missed it. What do you think about Jesus today? What do you make of his claims to be God? Um, there's an interesting part about this that I, I've always skipped over. In my mind, when I, I play this scene, I sort of imagine the kind of the chief priest, you've got Judas, you've got like two or three sort of Roman soldiers there as bodyguards just to make sure nothing gets bad. But um, 
I discovered through studying that this word that John uses to describe the band of soldiers is a technical military term called a cohort. And uh, we think, obviously, of uh, Roman soldiers, big, strong, muscular, beefy guys, kind of like uh, what we see here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, or sorry, rather like, uh, more like the other one. That's more like it. And um, then, you know, these are formidable guys. Uh, the word cohort meant usually 600 uh, people. It could mean just 200 on rare occasions. But still, I think you'll agree with me, 200 men is excessive. That's a lot of guys. That's a lot of Roman soldiers to bring with you uh, to arrest one guy and his band of followers. So... Uh, overkill, perhaps. Although, if, if they really knew who, who Jesus was, they would know that 200 men wasn't enough. 600 wouldn't be enough either. Um, but John records that they all fell over. I find that amazing. John records that this perhaps 200, maybe 600 band of fighting soldiers train killers, uh, their job is to stay standing. If you fall over in battle, you're dead. You've got to keep your footing. They train you that kind of thing, I'm sure, in Roman school. And um, they get knocked over with two words from Jesus. And these are Roman soldiers, so I don't think they knew their Old Testament as well as the chief priests. You see, when they, they'd heard Jesus say these things before, Jesus had been saying, I am statements all through John's gospel. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection of the life. I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And there's one time he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they pick up the stones. They'd heard it before and they'd reacted. But this is different. They fall over. So what's going on here? And I think... Um, what, what I think we see is the presence of God in that moment. Jesus is showing a glimpse of his glory, uh, as a crack in the door, as a beam of light of God's glory, this holiness that God had, Jesus had before in the Father. We saw in, in John 17, he prayed, the, the glory I had with you before. Uh, Jesus is just demonstrating just a drop, just a little, a little beam of that, and it sends them all onto their feet, uh, off their feet. They're flawed. What does this show us? It shows us that Jesus is again fully in control. No one is taking him anywhere he doesn't want to go. Jesus goes willingly. Secondly, it shows that before a glimpse of God's glory, no one can stay standing. You see, humanity has a problem. Uh, as my second point, I've got Two points, and these ones are a lot shorter than the first one, so don't worry. Um, the problem that we face. The problem is our weakness next to God's greatness. The problem is our frailty. We're so weak, we're so easy to break next to God's permanence. He lasts forever. He goes on and on and on. We heard in worship, he's the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end. But ultimately, the problem is our sin in comparison to God's Holiness. You see, sin disconnected and disconnects humanity, us, from God. We can't stand before him, let alone walk with him. Yet that's what we were made for. Verity uh, had a, an interpretation of the tongue that Josh brought, uh, where she said, uh, God, I, I want to walk with you. Um, and as, as, as humans, we were created to walk 
with God. That's what we read back in Genesis, that Adam and Eve, there they are. Well, there's Adam at least. And I imagine that's exactly what it was like. Um, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They had relationship. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no sin. They didn't cover anything up. They had nothing to hide from God. And crucially, they, they didn't just stand. They walked. So what happened? Well, ultimately, uh, the problem came through the serpent, temptation. Uh, did God really say you couldn't eat from this tree? See, God had put one prohibition. One, don't do this. This, will, this, will, this is dangerous for you. This will kill you. This will bring you death. This won't be good for you. I love you, my, my children. Don't do this thing. Did he, did he really say that? And Adam and Eve attempted. Perhaps God's keeping the best from us. Maybe he doesn't want us to be happy. Surely one little bite won't help. Why would God put it in the garden if he didn't want us to eat it? Right? Let's just have a try. You see, sin sin justifies things. The sin in our hearts justifies, tries to at least, our actions. Ultimately, when Adam, the father of humanity, disobeys God, eating from that one tree, he says, he thinks in his mind, I'm going to be my own God. He says in his heart, not your will, God, but mine. And with that, humanity was plunged into death, plunged into sin, plunged into darkness. And the sin in our hearts is just a mirror, is just a symptom, is just a, 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 like a continuation of that original moment. But there was one who was perfect. This is where we, final point, the price. There was one who was perfect. There is a human who is able to live a life of perfect obedience to God. And at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 18, he walks into a garden. Not the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Gethsemane. Can't say that word either. You see, death death and sin came into the world through Adam. But life and forgiveness and even righteousness comes through Jesus. One garden for another. There's lots of gardens in the Bible. Um, Paul, uh, the apostle who wrote a lot of the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, says this. Um, and he's talking about Adam. If you read this chapter, chapter 5, he, he's contrasting, he's comparing Adam and Jesus. He's saying you've got Adam and you've got Jesus. And he says this. Therefore, as one trespass or one sin, one act of disobedience led to condemnation for all men... So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many were made righteous. And and I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, um, kind of a, a paraphrase of the Bible. He says this, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all in trouble with sin and death, Another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes and put many in the right. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. How did he do it? Well, the problem was we can't come to God 
the very thing we were made for. We can't stand in his presence because we're not worthy. We're, we're sinful. Yet God has created us for that relationship. So Jesus accomplished for us an obedient life and took on himself our sin, even uh, by dying on a cross. There's, uh, again, another detail I love that John puts in at the very beginning of chapter 18. He says um, that when Jesus walked into the garden, on his way, he stepped over the brook Kidron. Uh, that is really interesting. That little brook was a tiny little stream, barely a piddle. Today, it's completely dried up. Back then, though, there was one time in the year when it flowed, and it was at Passover because it was fed by uh, a, a channel built into the temple. And it, the channel went from the, the altar where they sacrificed the lambs. So at Passover, when they sacrificed almost a 1,000 lambs, just continually, it's a, great, it's a horrible picture, really. All that blood flowed down the channel, through the wall, some clever system, out the wall, onto the ground, and into the Brook Kidron. And so one day a year it flowed, but it flowed with blood. And it's this time, and Jesus steps over that stream, stepping over a thousand years of sacrifice, knowing that he was bearing all of that, all of the guilt, all of the shame that that sacrifice represented that it was a picture of, he's taking that, stepping over it, knowing that no more sacrifices were needed because his was the last once and for all. Offering himself up to the Romans and the Jewish officers, Jesus takes our place that we deserve. Uh, I love the, the words from um, the song, uh, the How Deep the Father's Love for Us. That's it, that's what it's called. Uh, and in verse two, it says this, behold a man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. The good news of the gospel is that God has made a way for all of us to come and experience relationship with God. Not only can we be in his presence, but we can walk with God. God the Father calls us sons and daughters, and the problem of our sin has been uh, done away with, has been solved by Jesus as he paid the price so that we could know him and live with him. Can I pray for us? And we'll end. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your promise that if we put our hope and our trust in you, we find eternal life. Lord, I thank you that the good news of the gospel isn't a one-time thing whereby we move on from it. Lord, we go come back to the truth of your gospel every day. Lord, I thank you that every day we need reminding that you are perfect and holy and we don't deserve your love and grace. And yet you love us so much that you gave your son for us. I thank you, you love us more than we could possibly know. We pray, Lord, would you be with us this week. Help us to know the truth of your gospel. Know that we are saved because of what you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Super. Thank you, Alan.